At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Insurrection. No, not the one in Brazil, the one here, still in full flower two years and three days after the Trump slobs were beaten back. And this time, the combatants will include not the Proud Boys, but the Holman Rule and the Linder Letter. It starts today when the Taliban 20 forces its combination Speaker of the House and hostage, Kevin McCarthy, to pass a House rules package dressed up in patriotic persiflage, but actually designed merely to keep the insurrectionists from being prosecuted. The 2023 battle will be less mob rule and more Roberts rules of order, but it will again take place at the Capitol. The House rules for the 118th Congress will establish something to be airily called the Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Justice Department or something stupid like that, when in fact it should be called the House Obstruction of Justice Subcommittee. This subcommittee will give itself the right to review, quote, ongoing criminal investigations, which is a nice way of saying insurrectionists serving in the House, like Jim Jordan and Matt Gates and Perry and Green and Gosar, to say nothing of Trump or anybody else being investigated for their complicity in the January 6th coup attempt, they will be able to use a congressional subcommittee to stop those investigations of themselves. Or at least they think so. Gates and Jordan, who are behind this, are trying to dress it up as some sort of protection for political free speech and rights this and First Amendment that, when in fact it is an attempt by Jordan and Gates to keep Jordan and Gates out of jail. The problem with clever but lazy fanatics like Jordan and Gates 
is that they only read the headlines. They will hit the Department of Justice with demands for testimony, for evidence, of hearings, for witnesses, and the Department of Justice will be able to tell Gates and Jordan to shove it up their base. A deputy assistant attorney general will write to Chairman Jordan or Chairman Gates a note dry as toast invoking the Linder letter and Attorney General Robert Jackson and presuming they get a grown-up to read it aloud to them, Gates and Jordan will be in for a big surprise. On January 27th, 2000, which is so long ago, it was the day I turned 41, Assistant Attorney General Robert Rabin wrote to the House Chair of the Subcommittee on Rules, Congressman John Linder, about this exact, precise subject. No, not only can't Congress have or see or ask or demand anything about ongoing criminal investigations, but that that has been the policy of the United States government, whether run by Democrats or Republicans, since about 1900. Rabin quoted Robert H. Jackson, FDR's attorney general, in 1941, citing something like 40 years worth of precedence at that point in 1941. Jackson wrote that all investigative reports are confidential documents of the executive department of the government to aid in the duty laid upon the president by the Constitution to take care that the laws be faithfully executed and that congressional or public access to them would not be in the public interest. Rabin also pointed out in 2000 what should be obvious to anybody not quite as stupid and slovenly as Jim Jordan and Matt Gates. He quoted one assistant attorney general for the Office of Legal Counsel, Charles J. Cooper, who had written, quote, providing a congressional committee with confidential information about active criminal investigations would place the Congress in a position to exert pressure or attempt to influence the prosecution of criminal cases. The author of that quote, Charles J. Cooper, was the assistant attorney general under Ronald Reagan. If a congressional committee is fully apprised of all details of an investigation as the investigation proceeds, wrote a deputy counsel to the president, Edward L. Morgan, there is a substantial danger that congressional pressures will influence the course of the investigation. And that Mr. Morgan was deputy counsel to Richard Nixon. It is an open and shut bright red line. Gates and Jordan and their speaker hostage McCarthy are not the first yahoos to try to save their own skins by pretending they have the right to review anything going on in the Department of Justice. And given where the Republican insurrectionist party is going, they will not be the last. However, DOJ will refuse completely. The House will then vote to find Merrick Garland or somebody else at DOJ in contempt and demand they be prosecuted for that contempt. And that's when Matt Gates and Jim Jordan will realize that the only branch of law enforcement which can actually do that is the Department of Justice. Gates and Jordan will then be surprised as hell when the Department of Justice declines to prosecute the Department of Justice. Presumably, the insurrectionists will be able to fundraise off this brouhaha, ha ha ha, and get the Republican umbrage machine to fire up and get Tucker Jiminy Glick Carlson to make some more vague threats of violence against somebody. But the bottom line is they will not get to review the special counsel's case against Trump, nor stop it, nor review or stop the DOJ case against Gates for sex trafficking or anything else. 
So when hands are wrung later today about the House subcommittee on the deep state won't let Matt Gates Venmo payments for underage girls, or the House subcommittee to get Trump off the hook for the coup and blame it all on Pelosi, just remember the Linder letter and look forward to watching Gates and Jordan squirm. The Linder letter's evil twin, though, is called the Holman Rule, and I'm a little bit more worried about the Holman Rule. What I want to hear at the appropriate moment is that the Justice Department has not merely completed funding the office of special counsel Jack Smith for the next two years, but already paid his salary, all other salaries, all foreseeable expenses, and all unforeseeable expenses for everybody involved in the special counsel's office for the next two years. Because, of course, Kevin McCarthy gave away the store to become Speaker of the House until, like, Thursday of next week or whenever they overthrow him. And part of the store he gave away is the attempt to reinstitute the Holman Rule. The Holman Rule is another vestige of the 19th century, like the Supreme Court clerical error declaring that corporations are people, with which the fascists can now try to strangle the 21st century. The Holman Rule is something somebody told Marjorie Taylor Greene about, and that idiot actually remembered it. Two words in consecutive order. Nice job, Marge. Marge treats this as if it were an incantation from a Harry Potter book rather than what it actually was. The Coleman Rule was Congress trying to get a handle on out-of-control political patronage appointments to the civil service during the presidency of Ulysses S. Grant. Essentially, the House could vote to eliminate the salary of any federal employee, one at a time if need be, over the decades, Congress has not done much that justifies the cost of the oil with which to fry it in hell, but give credit where credit is due here. We have not seen many corrupt political patronage appointments by President Grant or his lackeys recently. This one worked. Even the House recognized that this was kind of a old deal. In 1895, they killed the Holman Rule in 1895. It came back from the dead in 1911. It was the basis for a House bill unsuccessfully directed at 39 victims of the Red Scare in the 40s. It died again in 1983. And then it was resuscitated by the Republicans when they took the House in 2017. Congressman Ron DeSantis tried to use the Holman Rule to punish his political enemies and failed. Paul Gosar tried it and failed. And most Republicans recoiled at what amounts to employment terrorism within the government and a line item veto within the government. And most importantly, revoking budget items after the budget had been approved. Even Republicans don't like the Holman rule. The Democrats killed it again when they took power in 2019. But what Marjorie Trailer Park Green has been promising since the middle of last year was to get the Holman rule reinstated and use it to fire or to at least cut the salary of anybody investigating or prosecuting Trump. It is corruption to cover up sedition. It is probably not constitutional based on a ruling in that Red Scare case in the 40s, because as the court then noted, it is a bill of attainder. And Section 9, Article 1 of the Constitution prohibits bills of attainder. To translate, and God, I remember this from 7th grade social studies. Thank you, Mrs. Rice. A bill of attainder is a legislature, not a court, declaring somebody guilty of something and punishing them without a trial. 
legal in the England of the 1700s, not legal in the United States of any year, decade, or day. So if Green gets the fascists to pass a Holman rule action to cut Jack Smith's salary or Merrick Garland's salary or the salaries of everybody at the FBI, it probably would not hold up in court. On the other hand, it could create yet more red tape and time delay to hold up the prosecution of Trump. So the prophylactic solution to this anti-democracy, anti-constitution, anti-law effort by Representative Cavewoman would be... Make sure everybody in Special Counsel Smith's office is already paid through 2024. Don't spend it all in one place. And then tell Marge to shove the Holman rule up her district. So the main attempt to protect Trump and Gates and Jordan and Green and whoever placed the January 5th pipe bombs and that I mentioned the pipe bomber right after I mentioned Green is just a coincidence. The main attempt will fail. The secondary attempt may fail of its own weight, And if it doesn't, it can be headed off at the pass. This leaves the Democrats and the administration more time to deal with what they should have precluded while they still had the majority. The Republican terrorist plan to refuse to raise the debt ceiling, cause this country to default on its debts, and then, you know, crash the world economy. ahead, Brazil has its version of January 6th. On January 8th, conveniently enough, its intended beneficiary happens to be at Mar-a-Lago. Solution? Raid Mar-a-Lago and seize him and anybody trying to protect him. In sports, what do you mean the New York Yankees wore red sleeves during two World Series? And it's two of my favorite anniversaries rolled into one. The day that we launched ESPN Radio with an accidental scoop, and the day that I, traveling to help ESPN Radio exploit that scoop, met the great actress and lovely human, the late Elizabeth Montgomery. Things I promise not to tell coming up. That's next. This is Countdown. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, 
and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. Still ahead on Countdown, it is almost time for hockey's all-star game, so naturally for the skills competition the day before the game, they want to have players shoot frozen pucks made out of hamburger meat at the local alligators. Pucks in deep, as they say. Coming up. First, in each edition of Countdown, we feature a dog in need you can help. Every dog has its day. Waffles is a French bulldog with a big problem in Shreveport, Louisiana. The parish pause rescue has saved him, but he may need surgery. His hips are misaligned, and it appears he was abandoned on the streets. Immediate treatment with steroids improved his state of mind 100% and his health quite a bit, and he was at last reported enthusiastically playing with stuffed toys. You can find Waffles on my Twitter feed or at Cuddly. Anything you can give will help. I thank you, and Waffles thanks you. Scripts to the news, some headlines, some updates, some snarks, some predictions. Dateline Brasilia, for the second time in two years, sore losers have tried to overthrow a democratically elected government by violence, and the government was not ready for it. Supporters of the Brazilian fascist Jair Bolsonaro attacked the Brazilian Supreme Court, the presidential office, and the legislature. Unlike here, they waited until after the new president had been inaugurated, and rather stupidly, they also waited to attack the government facilities until none of them were in session. Also, unlike here, at least 500 were immediately arrested, and the government promises they all will be. The joke last night was that since it is summer in Brazil, those who will defend these events in Brazilia will say the seditionists were just tourists who were there on vacation. Bolsonaro, of course, has been at Mar-a-Lago for about a week. He's already been consulting with Steve Bannon and Jason Miller on how to fascism. There have been calls for this country to immediately deport Bolsonaro back to Brazil for investigation of his role in the insurrection, which makes sense on the surface, I guess. But wouldn't it make more sense to deport Bannon and Miller for investigation of what they did or didn't do? Bannon says he was in favor of what happened in Brazil. As to Bolsonaro, if he's staying here or he's going back to Brazil involuntarily or otherwise, shouldn't the government or the U.S. military take him into custody? I mean, this is an issue of international law and diplomacy. Hell, raid Mar-a-Lago if you have to. If we're lucky, there'll be some kind of confrontation. 
And Dateline Atlanta, speaking of confrontations, as more details come out from the Herschel Walker staffer, who says conservative icon and bigot Matt Schlapp fondled him against his will in October. Schlapp and his wife continued to deny it happened. Now it turns out the accuser recorded a series of videos within hours of the incident memorializing Schlapp's alleged sexual advances, and he told his boss on the campaign the day after it supposedly happened. In one of the videos, the man says, quote, Matt Schlapp of the CPAC grabbed my junk and pummeled it at length. And here we thought Matt Schlapp was losing his grip. This is SportsCenter. Wait, check that. Not anymore. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. In sports, Buffalo Bills beat the New England Patriots 35-23 yesterday and afterwards FaceTimed with their teammate DeMar Hamlin, who just a week ago tonight collapsed on the field in cardiac arrest in a moment so terrifying the National Football League actually stopped the game in which it happened. One of the Bills' touchdowns yesterday was caught by receiver John Brown, who promptly handed the ball to the assistant trainer of the team, Danny Kellington, who had performed CPR on Hamlin within a minute of his collapse. It is Kellington who's credited with saving Hamlin's life and his neurological health. The latest athlete to draw an outpouring of support, the popular, charismatic Chicago White Sox relief pitcher Liam Hendricks, who revealed yesterday he has non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and will begin treatment today. Another baseball note, the Yankees, wearing uniforms with red sleeves? Baseball graphic designer and uniform expert Todd Radom found a historical nugget new to him and to me as well. Intermittently throughout the 1920s, groups of Yankee players, including the likes of future Hall of Famers Tony Lazeri and Leo DeRocher, wore red sweatshirts under their home pinstripe uniforms and road grays, including during the 1921 and 1927 World Series. The Yankees in red, which you can file next to the always startling reveal, that in 1937, the Brooklyn Dodgers wore green, Dodger green. The road uniforms were green and tan. Only in 1938 did they think better of it and went to Dodger blue, which they have worn ever since. And remember the Houston Astros World Series parade when Texas Senator Ted Cruz got a fan arrested because Cruz claimed the fan had thrown a can of the beverage White Claw at him? The fan insisted he was not throwing the can at Cruz. He was following the time-honored tradition of athletes chugging such beverages during parades and throwing the can to him. A grand jury has now reviewed the case and chosen not to indict the fan. I understand it is also discovered that Cruz is not an athlete. Still ahead, one week, two anniversaries. The unlikely way that we launched ESPN Radio and the even more unlikely way I met the great actress Elizabeth Montgomery within days of each other there. First, the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze to the National Hockey League. Rogers Sportsnet's Jeff Merrick. You know who you are, speckled suit guy reports that when the league holds its all-star game outside Miami next month, some of the annual skills competition may be devoted to special outdoor events tuned to the Florida vibe. Dunk tanks of some kind? 
hit the target with your shot and somebody winds up in the water. They've looked at golf things and airboat things and shooting pucks made out of frozen hamburgers at alligators in the Everglades. Because what have you got to lose besides some dignity and one or more of your limbs? LeBron Senator Tom Cotton on October 22nd, 2021, the fraud from Arkansas tweeted, Joe Biden said he's too busy to visit the border, but he wasn't too busy to whatever the talking point was that week. January 5th, 2023, Cotton has tweeted, visiting the border is meaningless if Biden continues to push policies that invite illegal immigration. Policies matter, not photo ops. Pick one side of this bull weevil. But the winner, and you have to admit this is kind of clever, especially for a Republican, kind of saving your crap cake and eating it too, new Florida MAGA Congressman Corey Mills celebrating his swearing in by making a tasteless, offensive, homophobic, unfunny insult designed for anybody with an IQ of 40 or less about gavels and Paul Pelosi. Here's the clever part. Mills deleted the tweet in which he made that joke. He deleted it without explanation because he's a terrified little boy. But then when others in outrage tweeted screenshots of it, Mills retweeted one of the screenshots, thus managing to again tweet the sophomoric insult while still being able to say, but I deleted it. Representative Corey, but I'm a vet, so you can't criticize me, Mills, today's Worst person in the world! At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game-changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever 
you get your podcast. To the number one story on the countdown and my favorite subject, me and things I promised not to tell. I have found myself telling her story three times in the last 10 days. I just bought a new copy of the movie in question, and so I thought I would tell you the story now. Plus, I find she made her Broadway debut 69 years ago this Thursday. Do you know her name? Elizabeth Montgomery. One of the most famous actresses of the 1960s and 1970s. Star of the TV series Bewitched. Daughter of a famous actor, Robert Montgomery, and my friend from early on the morning of January 14th, 1992, until she died in the spring of 1995. Our friendship happened only because of one thing. My sister had given me a book about one of our favorite topics, the never-to-be-solved mystery of Lizzie Borden and the Borden family axe murders of 1892 in Fall River, Massachusetts. Yes, we're weird. And also the fact that Elizabeth Montgomery had played Lizzie Borden in a TV movie. So on January 14, 1992, as I sat waiting for our flight to leave ICJFK Airport in New York for my then home in Los Angeles, and I began to read from my airplane seat my sister's gift from the aisle, from the last one to board, I hear the voice of Elizabeth Montgomery saying to me, Ooh, Keith, you're reading about me. She was a gas. My brief but eternal friendship with Lizzie Montgomery and the eternal lesson she taught me. In one moment, please, while I first explain what I was doing on that flight. A month or two earlier, I had agreed to join ESPN to co-host SportsCenter with Dan Patrick starting in late March 1992. I had just finished up three financially rewarding but soul-sucking years at Channel 2 in Los Angeles, and I was going to go to Hawaii for three months and just lie there until I felt better. On Monday, December 30th, 1991, I had literally just opened my address book to find the number of a travel agent I knew to make the Hawaii arrangements. I was reaching for the phone when the phone rang. It was my business agent who had just gotten off the phone with my new ESPN boss, John Walsh. He and they were launching a new radio network in five days. I found this interesting, but not particularly relevant. ESPN was one thing then. It was one TV network. No magazine, no radio, no ESPN, the Ocho. So this was their first big move outwards. The radio network would start with only two seven-hour shows on Saturday and Sunday nights. And Walsh explained to my agent that everything was going great and they were right on target and they had great guests lined up for the first weekend like Ronald Reagan and they only had one tiny problem. They needed three hosts and they had two terrific hosts, just terrific hosts. One Keith worked with named Tony Bruno and another terrific, just terrific host from Providence named Chuck Wilson. And they tried this guy as the third host and that guy and this guy and that guy and all told 40 different people had tried out to be hosts. They had nobody, nobody to be the third host who was any good. Could Keith just come here just for the first weekend just to get it off the ground? Then he can go back to L.A. and come back here in March, take over Sports Center, please, 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 can Keith help us? Please, because if he can, I don't know what on earth we're going to do. Oh, please, please, please. As I said to my agent, well, all right, I suppose. At least, at least, ESPN will always think of me as a team player. <laughs> so instead of going to Hawaii in January, I go to Bristol, Connecticut in January. And I go stay at my folks' house outside New York City, and a friend I had recommended to help ESPN launch their radio network offers me a ride up to ESPN for the weekend, and it's like 20 degrees, 
And we get out of his car in his parking lot, and three spots over getting out of his car in the parking lot is Chris Berman, who I went to high school with. And already in January 1992, when I'm not quite 33 years old, I already know Chris for 20 years, and before I can say, hey, he screams, Listen, we have a good thing going here. Don't F it up. And I say, good to see you too, Chris. And I remind myself it's only till Monday. And I meet the gang, and then I go to the hotel, and the hotel is beige. The walls are beige. The carpets are beige. The guests are beige. The food is beige. The only thing that isn't beige is the six inches of snow that falls overnight. And I remind myself it's only till Monday. The launch of the network on Saturday goes well. They have me interview Ronald Reagan about something in football. The Sunday night show is going well, too, and we're trying to figure out where the big baseball free agent of that winner, Danny Tartable, is going to sign. And we're interviewing Bobby Valentine, who was the manager of the Texas Rangers. And they were one of the teams rumored to be a likely landing for Tartable. And I asked Valentine, he says, no, not anymore. They just canceled their trip. I was supposed to go meet them at the airport tonight. I think he signed with somebody else. And the alarm bells go off in my head. And I tell the producer, let's call everybody we know in baseball and put them on and figure out where Danny Tartable is going. I have a source who knows his agent. Let me call him. We'll go story chasing. So we spend four hours following a story in real time, and it's great radio. And we're coming up on the last hour, and our guests have helped us eliminate like 30 teams out of 28. But we're not sure where Tartable is going still. And the producer says, if only we had his home phone number. And I look at the producer and go, oh, crap, sorry. And I grab my address book and I explain, he was my co-host, Tartable was, on, on some of our baseball postgame shows in L.A. last year. Uh, I'm sorry, I forgot I, I had his number all this time. Hang on. So I call Danny Tartable, and just as our last hour on Sunday night is starting, he calls me back, and I say to him, look, we know you've decided. It's all over baseball. It's got to be the Phillies, the Mets, or the Yankees. And he's saying correctly, I can't tell you. And I said, give me one guess, and just tell me if I'm wrong, and I will call you a source close to the negotiations. That's all. And he says, okay. And I say, is it a team that wears pinstripes? And, of course, the Phillies, the Mets, and the Yankees all wear pinstripes. So he laughs, and he says, yes. And I say, is it the team I grew up a fan of? And he says, what team did you grow up a fan of? And, by the way, this phone call is taking place with me on the floor of the studio in which the other two hosts are live on the new radio network. So I whisper to Tartable, if I say it's the Yankees, am I wrong? And he says, I can't tell you, and starts whispering, but off the record, the press conference is Wednesday at Yankee Stadium. Is that enough for you, you bastard? And, of course, I said, no, come on the show and tell us. Come on. And he laughs and says, I'll see you Wednesday, and hangs up, and I get up, and I sit in the vacant chair, and I can say, breaking news, ESPN report uh, now that the free agent outfielder Danny Tartable has agreed to a multi-year deal with the New York Yankees. Sources close to the negotiations say there will be a press conference Wednesday at Yankee Stadium. And the other hosts are trying not to crack up because they know I've just been talking to Tartable from the phone in the same room with them. Well, this story explodes way more than it deserved. It's a dull Sunday night. It's still early enough in the evening that the story makes all the Monday newspapers. And it's attributed not to ESPN or to SportsCenter, but to the brand new ESPN radio network on its second day in business. And it's on the front page of USA Today and the New York Times. New ESPN radio network makes splash with Tartable Scoop the next morning. And I can't tell you how big a deal that was back then in 1992. 
So now instead of going back to L.A. on Monday and maybe to Hawaii on Tuesday, as I had planned, I have to go to the press conference at Yankee Stadium to say hi to Tartable on Wednesday and sort of thank him for the scoop. And on Tuesday, this guy John Walsh from ESPN calls me and my agent says, look, we have to take advantage of this. It's the best possible start we could have hoped for for the radio network. Keith has to stay with us for the next three months. Why doesn't he stay and and do this weekend and then go back to L.A. and pack up his apartment then come back here the weekend after that? And, 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 and I say again to my agent, well, at least ESPN will always think of me as a team player if I do this. (laughs) So I am not in Hawaii, and instead I am on board this flight when Elizabeth Montgomery walks down the aisle and sees my Lizzie Borden book given to me by my sister and says, ooh, Keith, you're reading about me. Hi, I'm Lizzie Montgomery. I'm a big fan of yours. Is that seat taken? And I say, the hell if I care, sit down. And the only time we're not talking for the next six hours is when we are drinking. I believe, if I remember this correctly, they had to send up a champagne refueling flight halfway to L.A. And she's a huge sports fan. Her father was a founder of one of the Southern California horse racing tracks. And she loves the Lakers. And she thinks she was related to Lizzie Borden. Did I ever see the European version of her Lizzie Borden film where they show the wide shots where they make it look like she's nude? And I say, I'm absolutely certain I have not. And her son and her driver and her Rolls Royce meet us at LAX, and she wants me to see her house. And then her driver and her Rolls Royce will give me a lift home. And oh, by the way, she's flying back to New York in a week. Should we become flying buddies? On that trip, our flight gets canceled, and we have to find a new one. I'm hand carrying a lot of my more valuable baseball cards, including like 500 different from the year 1909. And she wants to see them. And she wants me to tell her something about each player while we drink again. And we land, and she says, how are you getting to your folks' house? And I say, well, I'm going to get a a car here or something. And she says, no, you're not. I'll give you a lift in my limo. I'm going right past your house. And sure enough, we get there, and as Lizzie Montgomery's limo is taking me to my folks' house at 10 o'clock at night, she says, will they still be up, your folks? Want to play a practical joke on them? So two minutes later, I knock on the door of my childhood home, and my father opens it. Instead of seeing me... It's her in the doorway, and she says, Hi, Mr. Olberman. I'm Lizzie. I'm a friend of Keith's. Can he come out and play? And my dad goes silent for the only time in my life. And now my mother appears so Lizzie can pull the same routine on her. Hi, Mrs. Olberman. I'm Lizzie. I'm a friend of Keith's. Can he come out and play? And now my mother is silent for the only time in my life. I might add, I thought, Lizzie looked fabulous, and I looked her up in Hallowell's film film guide, and I saw she was 48, and I thought, boy, she looks fabulous for 48, and then I realized my math is wrong. She was 58, and she was a joy. We talked by phone every couple of weeks after that, and she died three years later of colon cancer. But she is with me always, and not just as the proverbial force of nature. Within minutes of that day we met, January 14, 1992, she bestowed upon me a lesson an eternal lesson. We were a little late taking off, and since she had just loudly introduced herself to me like I didn't know who she was, anybody on the plane who wasn't sure it was her was now sure. As we waited a taxi, every man on that plane came over and did the same thing. Oh, hi, Miss Montgomery, excuse me. 
and they give me some sort of nodding acknowledgement, like, hey, how you doing, as they lean in past me. I was a big fan of Bewitched. I know you must get asked this a million times a day, but is there any chance? I'm so sorry to ask. Could you do that little nose twitch you used to do in the show? And she would say, of course, and then she'd do it, and these men age 20 to 100 all then giggle like schoolboys. <laughs> After the 30th or 31st time this happened, I say to her, Lizzie, I don't know you, but I like you a lot already. And your attitude towards your fans and the nose twitch is wonderful. But I have to tell you, I certainly hope that was the last of them because the next one who comes over, I'm going to have to strangle him with my bare hands because I can't take it anymore. And for the only minutes of all the time I knew her, Elizabeth Montgomery got very serious and said, oh, no, Keith. That is not the attitude you must have about this. Remind me, what year did Bewitched go off the air? I had to guess. 1972? And she said, exactly. Good. Correct. 20 years ago. And these people have remembered that nose twitch for 20 years, at least. Bewitched, Keith, is not Hamlet. It is not Arthur Miller. It is not The Godfather, but they remembered it. This is why you and I both do what we do for a living. We have transcended time with what we do for a living. Something artistic, something creative, no matter how small, that we have done, they have remembered it. People do it with you, I'm sure. And I'm sure they'll continue to. And what you do then is you say, thank you for remembering, as if they were the only one who ever remembered. Because that's why we do this. Because they remembered me from 20 years ago, for a stupid little nose twitch. Duly chastised, I apologized, and the huge, welcoming, conspiratorial, permanent friendship, sexy smile of Elizabeth Montgomery broke across her face like the sunrise, and she whispered, Either that, Keith, or they saw Bewitched on cable last week, which means Lizzie gets another check next week. And she twitched her nose at me. And I will always love her. Countdown has come to you from the studios of Olderman Broadcasting Empire World Headquarters in the Sports Capsule Building in New York. I've done all the damage I can do here. Thank you for listening. Here are the credits. Most of the music, including our theme from Beethoven's Ninth, was arranged, produced, and performed by Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel, who are the Countdown musical directors. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray, produced by TKO Brothers. Other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by No Horns Allowed. The sports music is the Olbermann theme from ESPN2, and it was written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Inc. Musical comments by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was Kenny Main. Everything else is pretty much my fault. So that is Countdown for this, the 737th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Arrest him now while we still can. I don't know if you could hear it throughout this podcast. I should, sure could. I've got some bronchial thing going on here. It's not COVID. I tested, but I'm just getting in to let you know. It feels like I might miss a day or two. We'll see tomorrow. Until whenever, I'm Keith Olbermann. <coughs> good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck.
Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.